0: Hello and welcome back to the Blockchain.com podcast. My name is Garrick Heilman. I'm the head of research at Blockchain.com and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. We've talked previously about how a major crypto asset theme these past few months has been the rise of the so-called alt layer one trade. Fred Wilson of Union Square Ventures, one of the most successful VCs and crypto investors, just pinned his holiday dinner crypto talking points blog stating that he does, quote, not believe the Web 3.0 crypto opportunity can be captured by simply holding Bitcoin and Ethereum anymore." Now, During the past few months, the price of native tokens for blockchain networks like Solana, Avalanche, and Tezos have significantly outperformed the two largest Layer 1 protocols, Ethereum and Bitcoin. And these alternatives to Ethereum and Bitcoin often feature lower fees and other functionality that make it faster and cheaper for some rapidly growing crypto use cases like non-fungible tokens. Now while it can be often tempting for crypto investors to focus their attention on the newer blockchains with fresher narratives like Solana and Avalanche, blockchain networks with longer track records of securing and transacting billions in value should not be completely discounted. Indeed, the best measure of blockchain security is arguably the result of a simple calculation how much value has been secured multiplied by the amount of time the blockchain has been in existence. And since Stellar's founding in 2014, it is consistently ranked as one of the most valuable blockchain networks. The XLM native token on the Stellar network was also the fourth asset blockchain.com chose to support in our private key wallet. On this episode, we spoke with Stellar ecosystem VP Justin Rice about why countries like Ukraine are trialing their central bank digital currencies on the Stellar network, We discuss Stellar's recently announced partnership with MoneyGram, the publicly traded cross-border payments giant, and how Justin and other Stellar community members continue to be surprised by new use cases developed on the Stellar network. Well, Justin, welcome to the Blockchain.com podcast. We start off all our interviews with uh, the following question. How did you earn your first dollar or other fiat currency?
1: How did I earn my first dollar? It was a dollar. And the way that I earned it was that I set up a detective agency because I was inspired by Encyclopedia Brown. And I solved a big case. I found my neighbor's basketball.
0: That's, that's unique. I don't think we've ever heard uh, a detective, detective story around earning your their, earning their first buck. Very cool. Well, tell us a bit about your background and um, you know what you did prior to crypto and how you first came to learn about crypto and get involved in the space.
1: I took a crooked path to crypto. Um, you know, after graduating from college, I did a lot of different things. Um, mostly, I worked in music and film production and ended up working a lot on ads. Um, and after working on ads for a long time. Um, and working on the production side of that, it's not for an advertising agency, but actually like trying to make the ads, trying to put the pieces together. I ended up getting interested in sort of like product development and started working for a company that um, basically an online dating website. Um, and at the online dating website, I worked for a long time trying to help basically solve one of the big problems that the website had, which was spammers and scammers, um, how to reduce the number of bad actors on the network. Um, and after working there, some of the people that worked there essentially started working on an interface for Stellar, uh, for the Stellar decentralized exchange called Stellar X, and so I was hired to work with someone that I knew from the online dating website to develop Stellar X, and that was the first time I started working in crypto, and it was an interesting challenge because we were building a product that basically gave people access to this built-in decentralized exchange that's part of the Stellar protocol. And there were a lot of product questions left to answer, like how do you make this intuitive? How do you deal with the fact that Stellar allows sort of like anyone to issue an asset and that several people can issue stable coins, right? Like there can be many different USDs. How do you make it so that trading, the trading interface feels both like familiar, but also it's clear that what you're dealing with is this sort of blockchain environment. How do you make it clear that you have to hold on to your key, for instance, because it was self-custodial. And those challenges were super interesting. And I think it was like developing products on top of uh, a blockchain that really, really drew me in. And from there, I just like went deep down the rabbit hole.
0: And when was that roughly? 2018. Uh, 2018. Okay. Okay, great. So you're, uh, you're, you're a gray haired veteran of the space here. Uh, I'm a gray. Ha-
1: yeah, I, I am <laughs> I'm from a, that makes me like ninth generation, you know, crypto <laughs> at this point. <laughs>
0: um, Very cool. So so tell us about your role exactly, and and, and this would be also a chance to, I think, introduce to the audience a bit uh, about the kind of structure of the Stellar ecosystem and some of the different entities um, in in, in play here. Great. So
1: my, my title is VP of Ecosystem at the Stellar Development Foundation. And the Stellar Development Foundation, first of all, is a nonprofit organization that supports the growth and development of the Stellar Network our mission is to increase equitable access to the world's financial infrastructure. We essentially help an ecosystem of projects build on this permissionless public blockchain that we don't own, it's, if anything, it belongs to the world, um, in order to sort of make connections that facilitate better access to financial resources and financial infrastructure. Specifically, my team, the ecosystem team, has like two halves. One half is the enterprise half, and they basically, that half the team works with enterprises who are building on Stellar to help them find each other, make connections, and optimize their use of the network. And the other side of my team is basically developer relations. So they help make, they help it so that developers can show up and understand how to build on Stellar so that the technology is clear and well explained, and so there are a ton of self-serve resources. Ultimately, the goal of the foundation is to get projects and services, applications, and businesses building on top of this permissionless network to take advantage of its uh, features, like you know, Stellar makes it easy to issue an asset. It has built-in mechanisms for exchange, and so therefore, it's really good for cross-border payments. You can build all kinds of businesses that take advantage of that fact. And so, our goal as a team and as as a foundation is really to empower this ecosystem to take advantage of the open-source technology.
0: Yep. That's that's uh, that's great, and and one of the key value propositions of Stellar, the the network, is is its low cost fees for payments. That's been um, from the beginning kind of a major selling point and objective. Making international payments or any payment fast, efficient. Can you talk to us about that? And and also, um, you know, we've seen other networks um, just to kind of like. You know, take the take take a second question and add it on here. We've seen other networks that promise similarly fast, cheap payments. Sometimes see their fees go up uh, as as they uh, as they attracted more users, more demand. How does Stellar avoid that scenario, or is that a possibility down the road where we could see Stellar fees actually jumping up significantly for Kurt from from the low levels they're at today?
1: Great, yeah, so Stellar is just streamlined, basically, to make cross asset payments easy. And so it makes asset issuance at the protocol level very easy. Issuing an asset is basically like adding a ledger entry. It has built-in mechanisms for exchange and it supports any arbitrary asset. So anyone can issue an asset, anyone can exchange it for another asset. And not only that, but there's great tooling to essentially connect the Stellar network to existing financial infrastructure. So you can handle things like KYC collection uh, when, you, when you serve as an on-off ramp for the network. So Stellar right now has really good on-off ramps. There are what we call anchors, but they're essentially fintech companies in various different um, jurisdictions who basically issue a fiat version of their local currency on the network. And because they're all connect, connected and because there is this, built-in ability to exchange assets. It's great for cross asset exchange. That ease and simplicity is one of the big like sort of drawing points of Stellar. It it, it is an advantage that has in and of itself simplicity. It's Mm -hmm. also very easy for developers to build platforms that can sort of interoperate with those assets. And so developer focus also is very good for Stellar. But as you pointed out, speed and costs are also advantages of Stellar. Um, Speed, is a function actually of the consensus protocol that drives the network, like the heart of the network. It is not basically proof of work or proof of stake. It's a third version, I'll just say proof of vote, right? It's actually a federated Byzantine agreement system, but that's hard to remember. So proof of vote, essentially validators on the network. They 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 go through a sort of tiered voting system in order to approve and, and ratify transactions. Because they're not competing with one another, there's no that the and because they're simply just exchanging these voting messages uh stellar can be very fast it can close um, ledgers very quickly and another effect of that is because of the way the voting system works when ledgers close there's instant finality. so that means that a stellar transaction is basically confirmed at the end of a round of voting so it takes about you know maybe five seconds so that's the speed aspect cost Right now, cost is very, very low on Stellar. Um, the minimum transaction fee is 100 troops, which is 0. 000 0.000001 lumens. So it's a fraction of a fraction of a cent. But like all networks, fees are there to actually deter bad behavior to make there be there has to be some cost to securing space in the ledger. Um, you can't have infinite transactions. And Stellar, like many networks, is set up with a surge pricing mechanism. So the more um, throughput that comes to the network, the more traffic there is, the higher fees go. And the truth is that fees on Stellar right now are so low that, you know, it, they, they would have to be multiplied so many times to get to a point where they were prohibitively expensive. Like there's a good chance that they'll go up from where they are now in, and they do during search pricing. But even during like full ledger activity where all the ledgers are like sort of at capacity, search pricing will get to, I don't know, still less than a cent. And so um, part of the reason why that's true is because of the governance of the network. Essentially the validators themselves and set the network minimum fees and can also determine ledger capacity so they can increase capacity as necessary. And the validators often have an input, an opinion about where fees should be. And many of people who run validators are users of the network. And so there are sort of like mechanisms where the people who are interested in using the network and are interested in keeping fees low will as much as the technology allows always sort of push to keep fees on, on the low end. And because it's a cooperative sort of proof of vote system, there's no incentive, right, for anyone to increase fees.
0: Yep, yep, makes sense. And um, uh, yeah, so, so just to summarize, it's not inconceivable that fees could rise uh, as demand were, were to rise, but there are incentives in place to try to mitigate that concern and that issue. Um, and and um, just kind of building on that, you know the, the payments use case uh, is is always been I think you know really uh, one of the front and center use cases for the Stellar network and you've had incredible success attracting um, you know governments uh, and 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 more payments oriented cryptos uh, like stablecoins. Can you talk about that effort? Why uh, the focus on payments and and why Stellar is so compelling for those looking to um, you know, launch more of a currency uh, than necessarily an asset. Although I, I I don't want to like downplay Stellar's value for, for assets, because uh, I think it's also got a lot of utility there. But it's, it's also particularly interesting, especially relative to other platforms that are slower and more expensive for currency and payments.
1: Yeah, as I mentioned, the Stellar Development Foundation's you know, mission is to increase equitable access to the world's financial infrastructure. And the place where you can really start to do that is in the payments industry. Um, fiat currencies, real world currencies that people transact in every day to make payments are often the biggest problem. They're, they're, they're a source of, of sort of pain, right? Especially if you need to move money across um, cultures, across borders, across currencies, right? And some world currencies are actually especially difficult to exchange and send across borders. So when you represent all that money on a blockchain, you can break down barriers, and that improves access for anyone. You're no longer siloed in your local currency. You can suddenly have access to more stable currencies or make payments to people in other countries. You are connected. And so I think at, at SDF, we view blockchain as an opportunity to extend and improve financial systems through innovation. And we see payments as the place where the rubber hits the road. So we've always, always focused on that. And we focused on that by trying to encourage the ecosystem through these sort of collaborative open efforts to solve real world problems. And by trying to make sure that they do it in a way that allows all of the different payment systems of the world to interoperate. So to answer your question, I think that that idea of sort of an interoperable system of payments that can solve real world problems was fundamental from the very beginning to Stellar's design. And every decision that the foundation has made after that has been to sort of reinforce and streamline that design, so that Stellar can really have an impact in this super important part of the financial world.
0: Yep, and, and just to just to add on to that, I, I think it's worth talking about some of the some of the problems around payments uh, in, in greater detail. Uh, I mean, still today, even with the World Bank and the G twenty making international payments and remittances and the cost of sending money, as you say, across borders and lowering that cost, uh, a top priority. Uh, I think World Bank estimates say it's still at least on average over 5%. uh, If you factor in fees and the foreign exchange conversion costs, that's often something that's a little more difficult for, for people sending money overseas to really see um, that they're also getting gouged, frankly on, on exchanging from one currency to another. Uh, And in many markets, it's over 10% uh, in places like Sub-Saharan Africa. And this was a big factor in in El Salvador's recent push into digital currency. They really put that issue front and center. And then you've got also even markets um, which have been really cut off, stranded, frankly, from the international payments world. These are oftentimes small island nations um, that that traditional banks just have a hard time servicing, they say, because of cost-benefit analysis. So... So this payments problem has been very, very, um, uh, you know, it's been with us for a long, long time. It's a big problem. And it's something that traditional finance and the, the most powerful institutions of the world have not been able to solve. And it's one of the, the, I think, kind of killer apps and, and use cases for crypto, uh, where you could see a 10X, 100X improvement over the kind of status quo. So uh, I think Stellar deserves a lot, of, a lot of credit for focusing on that. Um, having said that, Stellar is not just for payments. And it has a very interesting history of being used for all sorts of things. And I just want to talk briefly about some history uh, going back to 2017 during the ICO phenomenon um, when the Ethereum network was really front and center, driving a lot of the initial coin offerings. We did see people start to launch ICOs on Stellar. And it's always impressed me how versatile uh, the Stellar network is and how creative the users of the network often get. And I was wondering if you could speak to some of those uh, surprising emergent use cases of stellar, uh, that you've observed during your time and what's happening today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm certainly surprised by what people in the world can do with stellar. I mean, that's, what's interesting about our position as a foundation where we don't own the technology, right? It's an open source technology. anyone can build on it. And that means that like innovation can kind of come from anywhere. The problems that we think about at the foundation every day, which again, are super focused on cross-border payments, are not always the problems that the developers building on Stellar want to address, and so oftentimes they'll just start doing something, and we will see it happening, and it's, you know, it's it's a pretty interesting thing to be empowering someone to do something that you didn't even imagine that they could do. The ICOs, that was an interesting example, right? Back in back in the day when ICOs were a big thing. Um, the fact that Stellar was set up to make it very easy to issue an asset, like I said, issuing an asset on Stellar, assets are basically like a first class um, sort of uh, part of the data structure. You don't have to use a complicated smart contract. You can literally just, in a few, in a transaction, issue an asset on the network and then just use it to make payments. So it's really, really easy. It's really cheap. Um, and because it's so straightforward, people could issue any kind of token, including these ICO tokens on Stellar with very little overhead, um, And so if they had a good idea, right, anyone that has a good idea and wants to issue a token, it makes it very easy for them. If they have a weird idea, it also makes it easy for them to to sort of issue an asset. I'd say most of the ICO craze has died down. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that what were ICOs? I mean, a lot of the times they weren't super well thought through. Maybe they were in some gray regulatory area. Maybe they were just generally an idea that like sort of didn't have enough substance behind them. I don't know, some many of them. But of course, the, the craze these days, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Again, same thing is happening as it's happened with ICOs. There's there's a big project on Stellar called Lightment. And Lightmint is totally independent of the foundation. It's some developers that got together, looked at Stellar, realized again how easy it is to issue an asset, again, how cheap it is to issue an asset and started building out their own platform that allows people to issue tokens and that creates a marketplace for exchanging NFTs. And I think any time that the token issuance is, easy token issuance is an advantage, people will turn to Stellar. So I, you know, I can't imagine every opportunity that people are going to find where it's like asset issuance easy, therefore Stellar, but I think it will come up over over and over and over again. The NFT thing is also really interesting because Again, back to what we talked about with fees. Like fees for cross-border payments are are low, and that's an important part of the SDF story. Well, for Lightman, right, who's building NFTs on Stellar, low fees are also part of their story because you can mint NFTs without paying the high gas fees you do on Ethereum, and that actually is cool to me um, because it means that there's not this cost barrier of entry for artists who want to create NFTs, and yep. that speak that dovetails well with like equitable access. It's like, you shouldn't have to pay 600 bucks if you want to make an NFT. You should be able to have an idea and do it without this huge overhead. And Stellar, again, easy asset issuance and low costs are making that possible on Stellar right now.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for bringing NFTs into the conversation. Yet another way the uh, the Stellar network can be used. Um, So you've had some success in the central bank digital currency arena. And I wondered if you could just kind of, for the audience, first of all, introduce at a high level, what exactly is a central bank digital currency, and and why are some countries like Ukraine um, adopting Stellar for 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 uh, trials and use of CBDC?
1: Yeah, it's actually a more difficult question to answer than you might expect. <laughs> what is a central bank digital currency? So, central banks who set monetary policy for their jurisdictions for their nation states, mm. you know, they they still currently operate based on pre-outmoded models and. You know, the Federal Reserve in the United States or the Central Bank of Nigeria or the you know, central banks all over the world are essentially, actually, Central Bank of Nigeria is interesting. So I'll, I'll bracket that because they actually are the ones that are currently test piloting in, in, in a, a, a CBDC. But all of these countries all over the world are like, uh, central banks, sorry, all over the world are like, oh, there's something to this idea of basically a digital dollar, a digital version of a fiat currency a stable coin. Um, Mm -hmm. although it wouldn't really be a stable coin if it's CBD, if it's central bank was issuing it, we should start issuing our assets or consider issuing our assets in this way where they are fully digital and we're moving sort of into the, you know, keeping up with the times, I guess I would say, um, central banks are investigating a lot of different methods, uh, for issuing CBDCs. And most of them are just in some investigatory state, right? Um, we at SDF because Stellar is set up for uh, asset issuance, are very interested in talking to central banks and trying to basically explain how a CBDC would work on Stellar. Mm -hmm. And at a higher level, explain the advantage that a central bank gets by issuing a central bank digital currency on an open network. So in one world, central banks issue in sort of their own siloed networks that are unconnected, their versions of CBDCs that are for their own Population, right for their own people in their in in their nation state, but in another they would they would collaborate or find a way to issue those central uh, bank digital currencies on common networks that would allow easy interaction. So some of those problems that you were talking about with payments, you know, exist because current uh, payment infrastructure is siloed. And if central banks were issuing on public networks, they could start to break down. They could recreate. They could create a new sort of world without recreating the old. Silos of the financial uh, infrastructure as we know today, and so currently, I'll say central banks many are thinking about central bank digital currencies. We at SDF are showing them how Stellar might be a good fit. We are also advocating for issuing central banks on public networks, and so far, you know, we've we've been in conversations with various people. The public one, the most public one, is that we are assigned sort of an MOU to. Help, the, help Ukraine think about what a CBDC might look like. Now, it's not Ukraine issuing, you know, CBDC on Stellar today or anything, right? It's more right. like Ukraine asks SDF about how a blockchain might be a good fit for a CBDC. And we're helping them think through the challenges and advantages to issuing a CBDC and doing it on a public network.
0: Yep. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's a really helpful answer. And it's a complicated topic, as you mentioned. Um, but what one thing I would just add there is, is I think Ukraine is a really interesting country uh, to be partnering with for, for a bunch of reasons. But what I'll highlight is uh, you know, we think, um, based on you know, publicly available information, that digital currency adoption in Ukraine is, is very, very high relative to other countries, uh, very tech savvy population. And uh, it's definitely kind of, a, I think, a, a notable Partnership in, in in that regard, um, that Ukraine, you know, this tech savvy, I mean, some some rankings, I think chainalysis and their like digital currency penetration index ranked Ukraine number one in the world um, for digital currency adoption. So, so having um, you know, Ukraine interested in Stellar, I think is is quite interesting. And and um, just to come back to the complexity around the central bank digital currency question. Uh, it, it, that question was a little bit of putting the cart before the horse because we didn't really talk about stablecoins too too much um, prior to getting to CBDC. I guess I want to come back to stablecoins, which have also been uh, operating on Stellar for years now. Stellar has been an attractive, popular home and platform for the launch of various stablecoins. What is a stablecoin? How is it different than central bank digital currency? and um, tell us about the state of stablecoins on Stellar today.
1: So there are are a lot of different definitions of a stablecoin. And so what I'm gonna talk about is the general sort of way that um, stablecoins on Stellar are issued and they're issued as reserved backed currencies. So in other words, um, a user deposits say a dollar with what we call an anchor, a stablecoin issuer and gets a digital dollar on Stellar in return. There's a one-to-one backing for assets that exist on a Stellar network generally and 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 the fiat currency they represent and so a stablecoin issuer basically uses the built-in features of stellar to issue that asset and uses sort of stellar tooling that's common to the ecosystem to accept user deposits perform well basically perform the necessary compliance and due diligence including kyc collecting kyc information to accept user deposits issue in turn are in return for that deposit, a stable coin of the equivalent amount on the network. And they also honor user withdrawals so that you can pull the value off the network and get it back in, in as cash or your bank account. And so stable coins are essentially, uh, at least the ones that are building on Stellar are, are generally fintech companies that have licenses um, and relationships with banks that allow them to accept customer deposits and withdrawals and to in turn issue these digital credits for them on Stellar. Uh, And again, what kind of licenses they have, that varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But overall, Stellar has, in various jurisdictions, these stablecoin issuers who accept deposits on withdrawals that have correct licensing based on the requirements of that jurisdiction. A central bank digital currency would be different because there would not be you know, again, there's like sort of Stellar, in the, in the world of stablecoins, there's the network where it's issued Stellar, and then there's the fintech company who has a banking relationship, and they're accepting deposits of the actual fiat currency. A central bank would sort of obviate all those middle steps. The central bank itself, the issuer of the fiat currency, would directly issue on the network. And so the intermediaries involved in sort of stablecoin issuance would be gone, right? It would just be a central bank issuing another network. Whether or not central banks decide to issue their own fiat currencies, though, it is likely that the current sort of roster of people involved in a stable coin issuance, namely the fintech company and the banking relationships that they have, they'll probably become like pieces of any kind of CBDC, right? Like the central bank itself will probably not deal with users, but we don't know. So That's the difference between stable coins and central bank uh, issued digital currencies that on stellar right now, there are all of these stable coin again, we call them anchors that serve as on off ramps for the network. Um, We have them in dozens of countries and they basically can accept local fiat currency uh, and digitize it. And once it's on the network, a holder of that currency can easily do anything. They can exchange it, they can make a payment, they can hold on to it. The advantages that these on-off ramps give is that people, when they digitize in their local currency, can either transmit that currency in a payment, to a cross-border payment, or they can um, convert that currency if they live in a place where, as a, if they live in a place where there's an infl- inflationary local currency, they can convert it to something more stable to hold it. Um, there's all this by basically the stablecoin issuers offer access to the whole digital economy.
0: Yep. Yeah, and and just to, um, I mean, underscore how big a deal stablecoins are. We published our our two thousand eighteen stable state of stablecoins report. You know, just about three years ago. At that time, the whole stablecoin space was worth about two billion in market value. Uh, today, it's grown to over $100 hundred billion um, combined market value. So it's one of the fastest growing categories of crypto, one of the biggest categories, and when people think about okay well where could stable coins operate and live and what platforms can they be well supported on um, stellar in my mind is always near the top of the list um, given its its um, its its uh, efficiencies and speed and 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 low cost so um, so i think that 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 growth of stable coins is certainly um, you know given a lot of people reason to look at stellar uh, and and in turn um, coming back to central bank digital currency i think there's this debate currently underway around whether, you know, some central banks, even some federal reserve governors have intimated this, whether stablecoins might serve as kind of proxy central bank digital currencies. And, and that may be what uh, CBDC becomes for some countries is just a, a more closely regulated um, stablecoin, uh, perhaps operating on a network like Stellar. So a uh, very interesting kind of uh, area to keep an eye on that's uh, potentially, which is already driving huge huge, uh, increases in crypto adoption and, um, and really helps, um, I think move crypto beyond a store of value and an object of speculation, inflation hedge, et cetera, into more of the payments currency, using it for the proverbial buying a cup of coffee type use case, um, that many people have wanted to see it, um, used more for, um, MoneyGram, uh, another very notable partnership announced this year uh talk uh, tell us about moneygram today I mean I think a lot of people in the payments um, you know space and and folks who um, who uh, have sent money overseas uh, you know might might see money moneygram as kind of the the bad guy sometimes uh, <laughs> given the fees and whatnot but but tell us about the partnership and and uh, how that all came about and what is the partnership
1: yeah so I mean I think that it's interesting to, uh, so first of all, MoneyGram, I don't think is a bad guy, right? Like, I think MoneyGram is an innovative company that has been looking for ways to continue to like sort of push their product further and further and further along in order to actually make it serve their customers better. Uh, and so in October, SDF, we announced a collaboration with MoneyGram International. Uh, the, the, basically, MoneyGram's network of cash pay locations. Um, will allow remittance pickups um, in person for any for any Stellar assets, um, and, and the in the background is sort of in USDC, which is a Stellar USD stablecoin. Uh, and essentially, what like what is happening is that MoneyGram has these sort of rails, um, has these partners that that have actual physical pickup and uh, drop off locations for cash, and if you can imagine taking every single one of those. Sort of cash in points and turning it into a place where someone can sort of like walk in and access the digital economy right they can bring in money in whatever local currency they have and suddenly be on a digital network that gives them access to this whole world of financial instruments and financial products um so what is cool is that in this in the sort of stellar moneygram um, combo Stellar is, in a way, of taking advantage of everything that MoneyGram has built. Anyone, any wallet that's building on Stellar suddenly has access to all the cash-in and cash-out points in order to onboard customers. And, you know, MoneyGram is sort of benefiting from the transaction volume that all of the international payments on Stellar can bring and so it actually ends up being a great example of like stellar interoperating well with the sort of existing financial infrastructure but doing it in a way that essentially would make it cheaper and faster and easier and sort of more accessible for a lot of people and on the flip side would give a lot more people access to the sort of digital economy so it's pretty exciting because suddenly you know the there's this potential to access to give access to a whole new sort of breed of, of customer. Um, so it's, it's very cool. I mean, right now we're basically in the pilot stage and the plan is to start like sort of finish the pilot this year
0: and start rolling it out next
1: year. And what
0: markets are, are there specific markets that are kind of being piloted first and, and what's the rollout plan?
1: Uh, I can say there I, I can't actually disclose what the specific markets are right at the second. Um, I'll say that generally there are, there are a few select markets that they're working that are that are getting rolled out like in the very short term, like again this year and next year. I believe that there's maybe a, a 11 or so markets that they're going to do in the first wave of rollout. But ultimately, from our point of view, the goal is to reach all 150 million MoneyGram customers. Right. This, mm-hmm. you know, ideally this is this is a a service that MoneyGram customers have. Um, where basically a stellar-based application can make a payout to any moneygram location, and where vice versa, any moneygram location can serve as an on rent to any stellar application. And I think that's where, where we're, we're shooting to end up. But again, I think there's a, a very small pilot, and then a, you know a, a handful of country launch, and then it will like sort of the program will continue to evolve through next year.
0: And in all fairness to MoneyGram, I didn't mean to be overly provocative uh, at, the, at the start there. I think, as you highlight, MoneyGram uh, has, has worked really hard to address the last mile problem, which is very expensive. How do you get payments infrastructure in place on the ground in, in many markets in a regulatory compliant way? There's real costs associated with that uh those costs are not often aren't things that moneygram has a lot of say in um that are kind of you know foisted upon the the various um payment service providers so so um yeah didn't mean to to, to uh to be uh too too harsh on moneygram there um but uh oh, no, really, I, I, yeah <laughs> i feel like
1: sometimes in the in like sort of the blockchain industry companies like moneygram we set them up as like this straw man but if you yeah. actually there is you know there certain companies do are, are basically do better business or offer better services to customers. MoneyGram actually does a, a really great job, right? And it's interesting to actually look at how much they get right, like how much yeah. they they like they really do know how to work with agents everywhere. They really do know how to work in local jurisdictions. They really do understand FX conversion. Like they're just there's so much that they're doing right. And and sometimes I think you know, instead of being sort of blockchain arrogant, I'm not calling you blockchain arrogant, but it, I, I, everyone does it. Like you create a straw man and you say, we know how to do this better than they do. Right. And then in reality, like it's better to listen and understand what they actually do and think, how can we complement each other? right? Like how yeah. can we work together to create a better solution? Because it's not just rip it out and rip out its beating heart and replace it with blockchain. Right. That is not, and actually the right way to do it a lot of the times a lot of the times it's like give it more dexterity give it more nimbleness give whatever system exists like better reach better access solve some of the uh, issues on the ground um but don't but keep what's working as part of the functioning system
0: you know yep a- absolutely no it's really exciting uh, partnership and we're we're uh, looking forward to learning more and see how that how that evolves uh definitely a big uh a big win for, for the crypto industry as a whole, not just for for Stellar. Um, when we see partnerships like that, what can you tell us about um, Stellar that we haven't already covered? Um, you know, we I, I think it's also maybe just worth briefly because we kind of went through it pretty quickly. Talk about um, the the foundations kind of role around um, you know development of the protocol and the technology. And and you know this is the part of the podcast where we often like try to like surface any kind of roadmap, you know what's in the pipeline, what what can you tell the Stellar community and blockchain.com users that's coming that might be interesting. I I know oftentimes people can't say much if anything, but but maybe touch on if you could what the foundation does around protocol mm-hmm. development, um, just at a high level, and then anything you could say about kind of looking ahead at tech or or things that are in focus would be would be great to hear about.
1: Yeah, actually, the timing of this is really good because we literally less than a week ago rolled out a massive protocol upgrade, protocol 18. The foundation essentially listens to the ecosystem and tries to understand the needs of the people building on Stellar and then tries to figure out how in the open, because it's an open source project, in the open how to take those needs and implement them in code that is like sort of... uh, Function, functional right? In the, at the protocol level. So in other words, people ask for features, we try to figure out how to bring them to the actual protocol. Uh, what protocol 18 brought to Stellar is a native automated market maker capability. Mm-hmm. Um, automated market makers, so Stellar from its inception had an order book based exchange, decentralized exchange. That means that the ledger kept track of buy and sell orders. You could hold an asset and make an order to buy uh, by by another asset, right, and that order would exist in sort of common order books until it crossed another order and a trade would execute. That order book based model serves Stellar very well for a long, long time, but the problem is that the goal of those order books is actually to facilitate exchange. So, so much of what we've been talking about cross asset exchange, cross border payments, you need to be able to to take asset A and convert it to asset B, right? Mm-hmm. Order books are great for that because they are very easy to reason about, right? You can sort of picture them in your head. And in certain markets, they're very, very good at creating the liquidity necessary in order to make those exchanges. But how is that liquidity created? Well, somebody is putting orders that stand on the order books. And then they're also, if you imagine a world like the Stellar Decentralized Exchange, where those assets on the order books also are paralleled in outside markets. So if you have a USD coin and a Euro token uh, market on Stellar, there's also an external markets, right, where those same values are mirrored. And so a market maker that's making that market on Stellar has to do two things. One, they have to put value onto the network and hold it in those order books. And two, they have to constantly update those order books so that like sort of the pricing matches external reference. This means that market making in the order book model is basically the domain of professional market makers. And they generally are drawn to certain markets over others. And so we had an issue on the seller network where there were a lot of markets with great liquidity and others that were underserved by market makers. So our ecosystem looked around at what was going on on other protocols, and they said automated market makers. right? So on Ethereum, people built things like Uniswap. Instead of having these manually updated order books, they allowed users to pool assets Mm -hmm. into liquidity pools and then they'd allow other users to trade against those liquidity pools. And basically the price of the trades was determined by an algorithm. Um, the most famous is just constant product. So X times Y equals Z, right? It's just keeps the ratio of the, of the reserves and the pools balanced. And liquidity pools are great because users can pool their liquidity together because they don't have to have, you can put a tiny amount of capital in, you can, uh, the, the algorithm itself takes care of updating it. So you, there's not the same complexity with, as with order books. And there's incentives because the uh, uh, when you trade against liquidity, cool, it collects a small fee, right? So our ecosystem said, hey, we should have AMMs on Stellar. Mm-hmm. So we listened, the we worked with the ecosystem, our core development team came up with a proposal that was like sort of debated in the open and shared. And eventually after a ton of feedback from people building on Stellar, we arrived at an implementation of AMMs on Stellar and added it to the protocol. And so now, as of right now, you can easily deposit into withdraw, withdraw from and trade against liquidity pools on Stellar. And the goal is to boost overall network liquidity. So back when I was saying, professional market makers make certain markets, other markets now, it's, you, we've already seen this boost in liquidity in like long-tail assets, in smaller markets, um, you know, thousands of people have deposited in the past week into liquidity pools. So it's democratizing market making and bring, get, giving people an opportunity to deposit there into these liquidity pools. It's what, and anyway, long story short, the big development, now there are AMMs on Stellar. The reason why is because the ecosystem asked for them because they wanted better overall network liquidity. And so that's like sort of, exactly what happens in development, right? We get feedback, we see a good solution to a problem, the liquidity Mm -hmm. problem, and then we implement it at the protocol level. When we do that, what actually then happens is that basically we release a version of the protocol. So in this case, it was protocol 18, and you put it up in front of the network and the validators, the nodes that actually um, participate in ratifying transactions on the network, they actually have to approve it. And that's like the final step. So after all of that sort of feedback goal implementation, there's a validator vote that actually brings the network up to the protocol 18 and then the new feature is available. That network vote happened on November 3rd, so six days ago. Um, And that's definitely the big sort of development news. Protocol 18 AMMs are live on Stellar.
0: Cool. Well, very exciting stuff. And uh, I think it highlights also how you know, blockchain networks like Stellar are these kind of living things that continue to evolve and, and, you know, improve and change over time based on community feedback. And, and it's just, I think one of the kind of, I think most interesting parts of this whole space is it's not static. It's constantly responding to, to market demands and the evolving use of this still relatively new technology. So congrats on, on that. Um, Justin, any, anything else uh, you want us to know? Where do people go to learn more about Stellar to get started using it? I, I mean, obviously, I'm going to plug the blockchain.com wallet. Stellar XLM was the fourth, I think, asset we ever felt comfortable enough adding to uh, our wallet for for, for our, our millions of users. Um, but uh, where do you generally want people to go to, to get started and learn more about Stellar and XLM?
1: The best place to go is Stellar.org. If you go there, you know it's a gateway that will lead you into the rest of the ecosystem, it will give you some sort of base education about Stellar. And if you're a developer, it will lead you right to the developer documentation. I think the final thing I want to say is that Stellar is as strong as its ecosystem, right? The goal is to create a technology that's super useful to businesses and developers so that they can create products and services, applications, and uh, that actually serve real world customers. And what we've seen over the past, year or so is just like this continued growth and development of the ecosystem. We've seen more and more stable coins, more and more apps and wallets that give people access to those stable coins, more and more cross-border payment corridors. And I think that we're just, that sort of surge in activity is actually sort of uh, helps Stellar fulfill its promise, right? It's, it's a virtuous cycle. The more there are our assets, the more there are liquidity pools, the more there are users, the interfaces who are interacting with one another, the more alive the ecosystem becomes. And I think anyone who's listening, who's interested in blockchain and interested in building on blockchain should definitely check it out because it is really a greenfield for entrepreneurs and developers. And it's a very friendly place to start building. Um, and I think that that is one of the most fun things about Stellar is like sort of how, when new people come, it's a good, fun, joyous place to land. And how much potential there is for anyone who's just starting out and then also how much potential there is for existing companies to keep growing.
0: Yep, absolutely. And I, I would just add to that also one of the uh, oldest, most mature, most battle-tested networks uh, in crypto, which is worth something, by the way, when you're storing you know, billions in value, hundreds of millions in value, I mean, having a network that has stood the test of time uh, and, and successfully secured significant value for years. Uh, stellar was founded, I believe in 2014. Uh, that's worth a lot. So, uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, we'll look forward to hopefully checking back with you, uh, in the coming uh, months and years to hear about what's, uh, what's new with stellar down the road. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please rate us and leave a review as it really helps boost our visibility to more listeners.